All right, ready to go. Just like, let it play. <laughs> Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and we are on episode 204 right now. And I'm sorry, 205 on our network. It's growing quickly. Uh, we've got a second show for our, we had our new show last week called Touch Them All with Bob Schaefer. This is show two. Got a great response from that. Um, before we bring bring in Bob, the star of the show, I just want a quick message to our audience here. We're closing in on 20,000 subscribers. Hope to get that by the end of the week. Make sure you download, listen, like, subscribe, rate, and review. The rate and review allows us to battle the analytics of the podcast world a lot like we have to do in baseball. Get us on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher. If you have a different one, I will certainly subscribe to that as well. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you can hit us up on all those. I answer one question a day live on Facebook. The rest I get privately. Almost 500 questions today, so I've got a lot of work to do this afternoon. Um, 72 countries now, grassroots, all the way to MLB front offices. Just trying to build a better baseball IQ out there. And as a promise to our audience, they wrote a disclaimer for me, and they're a badge of courage for him, so I will read it for him. They said, all new listeners, prepare to embrace comfortable truths about baseball, because as this program will do like all of our programs, <laughs> we have no time for the comfortable lies being told, so we're going to hit you straight between the eyes. So, Bob, welcome back to your st- show, star of the show here. Did you enjoy your first show last week? Yeah, I did. It was very good. Yeah, I know our audience hope, did as well. I hope someone else did. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, you know what? I always tell my wife, as long as I got an audience of one that I'm happy with it, I'm good. I always know I got an audience of one. So, but no, we got a lot of great responses from it. Uh, your in-depth look on the details of baseball was well received, and uh, everybody's looking for even more this week. So that, um, so I know I know we talked a little bit pre-show here. You were watching a lot of minor league baseball right now. I don't want to pigeonhole you into what what the things you saw because I know you saw a ton. But just kind of throw it out there: minor league baseball. You were watching a lot of it. What what kind of things were you were catching your eye? Well, you know, to me, one of the biggest problems with baseball is that uh, there's no one really to teach the coaches anymore. A lot of these uh, veteran coaches, managers, even scouts, you know, they lose their job and they can't get another job because, and it's not that overpaid because some of these guys work for almost nothing, just get back into the game. But, you know, I, I was fortunate. I learned from veteran uh, coaches and managers. I picked their brain. I, I learned quite a bit. And that's why I kind of got where I am now. I mean, I didn't make anything up, but I learned it. I learned from different people, you know, Dick Hauser and all the way down the road, uh, George Kissel, like I said before. But I was watching my league game the other day, and, uh, you know, they got they got a staff of basic college guys, and there's nothing wrong with college guys. There's a lot of good college coaches for sure. But this one guy's coaching third base, and uh, he, he doesn't know how to coach third because he he's in bad position. He has to make up his decision too soon. He's waving a guy from, you know, at home from second base, and he's on the outfield side of third base, so – now he has to make his decision a lot sooner. And, of course, one guy got thrown out for the first out. Another guy got thrown out by, for the second for the, with no outs. So, you know, no outs and one out. He got two guys thrown on home plate, and they were, it was not even a contest. It was like 10, 15 feet. In other words, he's making his decision too soon because he's in bad position. You'd think that someone would tell this guy, you know, you got to get down the line. The third base coach, all he does is hold the guy. He doesn't wave him, even though he might wave his arms, but the runner's running all the way until you stop him. But you got to give yourself more of a chance to make a decision. And that's why you get almost halfway down the line sometimes, even even farther sometimes. As long as you keep the guy in front of you, you can still stop him. But he had to make his, his decision too soon, and it was a bad situation. But I just don't know, you know, who's helping this guy, if there is anybody helping him. I was fortunate when I took over the Red Sox. I was player development, but I was the uh, field coordinator. I had managed at every level. I had coached in the big leagues. And, I had experience I could teach guys. And one thing that I can tell you, we had like 15 coaches get to the big leagues that worked for me within in five years. Not be, just because of me, but we fed off each other. We helped each other. We talked baseball all the time. And, you know, coaching is, uh, is different than playing. You can get some guys come off the playing field, but coaching and playing is a different profession altogether. You have to learn how to coach. There's a timing in coaching. There's a technique. There's organization part of it. And you, somebody's got to teach you that. Some guys can figure it out, but I remember George Brett telling me he'd be a lousy hitting coach, one of the best hitters in the history of baseball. He says, I know what I did, but I don't know how I did it. And sometimes you get a guy that, you know, is a good hitter, a good coach, a good player. You got to teach him the fundamentals, so to speak, of how to coach. And I just see that there's too many guys out there that 
you know, the blind leading the blind because sometimes they make a scout, and no offense to the scouts, who never manage or coach, and trying to teach the coaches how to coach, or they don't teach anything. So it, it's too bad. Really, it's too bad. I feel bad for some of these guys. And uh, like I said, when I did it, you know, we always talked baseball, but I had experience at every level, so I could, you know, I could really justify what I'm saying, and they respect my opinion, and, and we all learn from each other. So I think the coaching is most important in the minor leagues. We always talk about the fundamentals in the big leagues. Well, you know what? It starts in the minor leagues. Yeah. We all say it's a tough game to play, and the big leaguers make a lot of fundamental mistakes, but if you have a good minor league system and the teams that have really good minor league systems, it shows up in the big leagues. But you have to teach the kids how to play from day one, rookie league on up. And I don't know if that's happening in a lot of organizations. Yeah, I and mean, the coaches are responsible for the players, so if they're not being instructed, uh, God knows what's going on with the players right now. It's safe to say, I mean, obviously to have success at anything, specifically coaching, I mean, I did it for 22 years. You have to have the necessary experiences in order to have potential for success. So what were what are some other observations? You, have? you went you went over that base running position last week. Maybe I should send him that podcast because you went over that clearly. The position <laughs> well, that's base coaching. I mean, again, it's you know I think the guy's a good baseball guy. He wouldn't have the job, but I mean, same yeah. token, he needs somebody to learn from. And uh, I don't know who he's learning from if he is. And you know, I look at some of the people. I don't know anybody in our organization anymore. The team that I saw, so I don't know. I know they fired a friend of mine last year who has been in baseball for a long time. Managing big leagues, coaching major leagues, probably twenty years, and all of a sudden he's gone. So I don't know what's going on, but uh, you know the veteran guys that are looking for jobs and need jobs or had jobs, they're very important. I learned from veteran guys. That's how you learn the game. You got to have those guys around. Even if they're part time, they come around a little bit here and there, but they can help you. And we need people to teach the teachers. And I don't see it happening in a lot of places. I mean, our organization is really good. We hired some good guys this year. The John Watson went out and got some very veteran, you know coaches who coach in the big league, some of them, you know, big league players also, but you don't have to be a big league player to be a good coach. Yeah. And I think you've shared some of your organizational strategies with me in the past. And, and you've mentioned George Kissel and I've heard rumors of his little black book that he's got every baseball situation in um, possible. I'd love to catch a glimpse of that if anybody had it, but if you had a, if you were over minor league coaching development, what were, what would be some other things you touch on that you've seen in these minor league games? Well, first of all, you know, we wrote a book, and I, I wrote it, but I had a lot of help from our staff. Every fundamental, how we're going to run batting practice, and how we do things. I mean, number one, you know, batting practice is most important. And unfortunately, you don't take that much batting practice anymore. I mean, I don't get to the games that much earlier or much earlier anymore because you say take BP, like, you know, two hours for the game or whatever. But when you take batting practice, it's not only batting practice, it's fielding practice, and it's base running practice. And the way we used to do it, we'd have maybe four, maybe five groups of three guys in a group. One group was hitting, one group was on second base, one group was on third base. And the other two groups would be in the field taking balls off the bat or taking balls off the fungal. So if you're on second base, you just line them up right behind each other, and they take their secondary lead when the uh, you know, pitcher throws the ball and react off the bat. Off the bat. So, I mean, you have to practice game situations, and you have to practice live situations, and you know, game speed. Now, you can have a fungal hitter hitting balls, but that's not the same. you got to have balls live off the bat. So now if you're on second base and there's certain rules you got to do, you know, fly ball to the outfield, nobody out, you got to tag. I mean, you might hang out a little bit if it's really deep. So if he drops it, you can still score. But the primary reason or primary job for man on second base and nobody out is to tag and get the third with one out. Now, if there's one out, what you want to do is score if the ball falls. So if it's hit out deep in the outfield and, uh, you know, you can't, you know, you, you got to hang out. And so in case it falls, the guy dies for it and misses it, you got to be able to score because with one out, you got to score. But with no outs, if you tag and go to third, you're third and one out, which is a good situation. So just little things like that. But you see that messed up a lot. Guys are tagging with one out or hanging out with no outs. And now the guy makes a diving catch with nobody out. He can't get back and tag, so he's still a second base. But that's just the fundamentals that – have to be ingrained in the players, and they have to anticipate. I mean, you have to think. When you get on base, you have to think what you're going to do. Another thing, at first base, you know, when you're stealing, the most important thing when you get on base is what is the value of your run? If you're up by two or three runs, you can be a lot more aggressive. You can take more chances. If you're down two, three, four runs, depending on the inning, inning, the score will tell you every situation, the inning, the score, how many outs, 
and so forth. So you look at the scoreboard, it tells you what you got to do. So if you're down by four or five runs, you got to be one base at a time. You got please, but yes, you, know, you got to be safety. You know, if you go from first to second, that's good enough. You don't have to go to third because tie run is still in a dugout. You can't get thrown out on the bases when you're down by four or five runs. Now, if you're ahead, you can be more aggressive. You can get that secondary lead, and you can, you know, try to go first or third when you're on first base. But we get back to like stealing. You know, there's three types of steals. There's a steal like a lot of guys get the green light, which I think is good to get a green light for a lot of people. But I do think that sometimes managers trust the player too much and give them the green light, and all of a sudden they run into an out when they shouldn't be stealing. When I was managing, I used to, you know, flash my hand, like on my palm to the guys with green lights. Okay, you got the green light right now. Now, if it goes like, say, 2-0, 2-0 is not a good uh, count to steal on because one more pitch it might be 2-1 or it might be 3-0. And, and a hitter is, you know, not going to – he's got to get it right down the middle – You'll know, be a selective hitter to swing at it. So 2-0 is not a good time to swing, uh, uh, steal, even though I'm not saying you should never steal 2-0, but that's not a good pitch to steal on. But anyway, when you steal, you, you can't, you got to get a good jump when you're stealing. You got to, you know, you're on your own. You got to get a jump. If you don't get the jump, you can't go. You can't run into an out. Now, if the hit and runs on, you're running, but you got to make sure the pitcher pitches, you can't get picked off. If the hitter hits the ball, a lot of good things happen. Hopefully the hitter will hit the ball on the ground somewhere or maybe line drive out in the outfield, you know, up the alley somewhere. But you now the hit and run, like I said, you got to make sure he pitches and you take off. And if the hitter swings and misses or, you know, it's a ball and he can't hit it, which he hopefully he does hit it, but uh, if he doesn't, you might be thrown out. But you can't get picked off. Now the next type of steal, uh, steal is a delayed steal. Now delayed is kind of a bad word because you don't delay at all. But on a delayed steal, what you're doing, you're stealing on a second baseman and a shortstop. On a second baseman and shortstop, when it's runner on first, as the pitcher delivers the ball, they peek at the runner. If they see the runner crossing over, they know he's stealing. So they make the move toward the base. And if they don't cross over, they, they let them drop their head. So when I was coaching third in the minor leagues and putting signs on, if I saw the infielders dropping ahead after the pitch because they didn't see the guy cross over, I'd put the delayed steal on. It works better with two outs because the infielders aren't cheating for a double play, so they're farther away from the base to start with. But in a delayed steal, what you're doing, you're beating the second baseman or the shortstop to second base. So what you do, if the delayed steal is on, you take a normal lead, you take a, a big, they take four slide steps for your secondary lead. You just keep sliding off. So when an infielder looks at you, he doesn't see you crossing over. He doesn't think you're stealing. Now, the catcher probably going to see you go. But all of a sudden, Catch comes up to throw, and there's nobody at second base. They can't get there. They're racing to get to the base. And you take a couple of slide steps, gain a lot of ground. Then you cross over and take off for the base, and hopefully you beat the infielder to the base. It's a very effective play, and it works It works because the infielders don't know what they're doing. I mean, a good infielder to defend against a delayed steal is any time if you're covering the base, after the ball is by the hitter, you got to take two or three steps toward the base. If the infielder does that, then this delayed steal is not going to work. But delayed steal, I've seen the big leagues. It's, it's working a little bit more in the big leagues. It never used to be much in the big leagues. But in the minor leagues, college, high school, it's a good play. But again, if they don't know how to defend it, and the defender is to you know, take two or three steps toward the base, the delayed steal will work, and especially works with two outs in a really good situation with first and third. Because a lot of times the catcher come up, you won't see anybody there kind of hang up a little bit, and the throw will go high, and the guy in third can come home and score. So that's a delayed steal. So another thing is when you, when you steal – Regular steal, your hit and run, to me, it should always peak. You know, that's something you practice when you're doing your sprints before the game. You know, we always had guys line up on a foul line. We had a fake pitcher out there, might be a coach, and just, you know, simulate being a pitcher, take a stretch. Once he goes home, cross over and go, you're stealing. But you'd always practice peaking in. You can peak in without slowing down if you practice it. But the thing is, if you don't peak, it's dangerous. You can hit with a line drive. Last time I watched a Red Sox game. And uh, yeah, Verdugo, Sox, right? Who was that? Verdugo got hit. No, it wasn't Verdugo. It was the center fielder. Okay. And he got he got hit with a you know, hard ground ball, and he was out because he got hit with a fair ball. But, I mean, it's just, to me, elementary. I mean, it's safety first. I mean, when I coached with the Dodgers, we had a guy that could steal the base, and he would never peak. And I said, you got to peak, especially Andre Ether was on deck. And Andre Ether hit some bullets, but he didn't. Now – some of the best base stealers didn't peak a lot of times because they knew the guy was going to the hitter was going to take a pitch for him. 
But if you don't know he's going to take a pitch, you better peek in. And again, if you practice it, he's not going to slow you down. But you should always know where, where the ball is. I mean, I know as a shortstop, I used to deke guys all the time. If he runs and I know he didn't peek, I can pretend it's a pop-up and call it, you know, I got it, I got it, and he slow down and get back to first base. Or sometimes he's, you know, you stretch like you're going to, you know, force him out, and he's sliding in second. And it was, you know, it was like uh, it, it just, they just have to, you know, he's sliding in second rather than make, go to third base on a base hit. But you, you're going to get decoyed if you don't, you don't peak. You're going to get hurt if you don't peak. And it's not that tough to do it, but you have to practice it. Yeah. So peaking, obviously, <laughs> Safety, but there's as a strategy to it because if the guy swings and misses, the guy takes a pitcher, even the ball gets by the catcher, you've got to be aware. Do that. When when do you peak? Do you have a certain stride you like to peak on? Yeah, I tell the guys, you know, when you when you lead off, when you take off, you have you know you cross over, so you left cross over left foot, right foot, left foot, and right foot. When your right foot hits your fourth step, you peak in looking over your left shoulder, and uh, that. You know, that'll allow you to see it. And, you know, you don't slow in, slow down. But usually on the fourth step is when the ball is around home plate and the hitter's about to hit the ball. So that, that to me, I use that for a guideline. Uh, some guys go a little later, whatever. But normally the other thing is you got you to look in when a hitter hits the ball and know where it's hit and know defend yourself. You have to put another – but don't get decoyed. Maybe take the extra base, like you said, wild pitch, pass ball. You might be end up on – be able to go to third base. Yeah, so that's it. Definitely lost nowadays. Base running is, uh, I'm guessing, not emphasized. I'll use that polite word instead of coached, but not emphasized as much. And we're seeing a lot of mistakes out there, at, especially at the big league level. Um, tons of mistakes. And I would imagine as a as a uh, special assistant, scout, coach, whatever your role's been, I can't imagine giving up outs in the bases was too popular for you. Well, it's frustrating because, you know what, it's all about anticipation and concentration. And take a pride in what you're doing. But the thing is, like another another play I see a lot, man at first, base hit the right center field or center field even. And the runner's going heading to you know second base on his way to third. And he looks for the third base coach. But the third base coach is farther away than you are. And you, you ought to be able to find the ball yourself. I mean, good base runners know where the ball is all the time. And you can turn your head a little bit without slowing down. Now, if the ball's down the right field line, you might have to look for the third base coach. But if it's down the right field line, you're probably going to go to third anyway. If that right field has got to go toward the line, you're going to probably make right field easy. I mean, George Kissel used to say all the time, you're on first base, a base hit, ground ball, base hit to right field, you better be on third base. And that's, again, uh, practicing. And, uh, you know, just, you know, I know when uh, Mike Socha was managing uh, the Angels, every time they come to our park, first day to be out there running first to third. They'd practice just running first to third. And they went first to third all the time. They didn't care what the score was or, you know, I mean, they didn't know what the score was. But I mean, they, usually you want to get thrown out third base for the first out or the third out. But they would run a lot of times with, you know, one out or two outs. And, you know, outs didn't really matter sometimes to them. But what they did by practicing, they, they learned that arc, like we talked to you about the other day. You know, it's a 90 degree angle from first base to third base. And the arc on the way to second base should be the same arc before you hit the base is an after, after you hit the base rather than, you know, go down and square off and, you know, way out near the shortstop. So if you practice that, and we used to do a thing in spring training and also in the instructional league is it, we used to call it the baseball 60. So you put the runner on first base, put his left foot on first base. And as soon as he took off, you start the clock. And his thing was to run around second base and run through third base. And so it was like 60 yards, 30 yards and 30 yards. So we gave him three tries. And the second, third one is always better than the first and second one because they get a better arc. So that arc means a lot, but you have to practice it. You got to find out what your arc is. Everybody's arc's a little bit different. So you practice it, you can prove, and that split second quicker you get there may mean the difference between your uh, outer safe. What um, when when you put the clock on them? What was the desired time? Well, how you test on my memory? No, I'm sorry. I'm sure it's different for every. <laughs> no, it's every. usually about, you know, it's probably a good runner will go probably a little, you know, more than six seconds, I think it was. Yeah. But, you know, it's like three seconds, three, three something seconds between, uh, you know, bases. I mean, just like when you're stealing. Yeah. You know, if you can get a guy, a lot, of good, a lot of good guys get there. You know, the best ones get like 3.3 seconds, 3.4. And that's where when you time a pitcher, the pitcher, anything under 1.3, you know, Depends how fast you are, but a pitcher is under 1.3 is not bad. Ideally, you want to be 1.2 or a little bit less than that, but you get a pitcher at 1.5 to the, you know, when time you deliver his ball to the time to catch it, catch it, 
it's tough for a catcher who a good catcher will throw down from home to second. You know, they call it a pop pop time, I guess. Yeah. Is uh, yeah, about one one eight one nine. The real goons, both of them are two point oh. And then now you got to factor in a tag. So if the ball's high, by the time he brings the tag down, the runner can be safe. So a lot of it's measured on time. Uh, but, you know, again, guys should know how fast they can get to second base, and the coaches should know. So they know who has a good chance of stealing or who doesn't. Yeah. Then you factor in the jump. I mean, uh, like I said, if you're stealing, you got to get a good jump. If you don't get a good jump, you got to, you know, shut it down and maybe another pitch. Yeah, that makes sense. I didn't mean to test the memory. I was uh, I was curious. I figured it was around six seconds because you're home to first. You you know you're in that swing dead sprint. And you're trying to get that you know low threes if you can. That's pretty fast. Yeah. But um, so when when um, you went through, you did the third base coach. Talk about the first base coach. What's their responsibility? Run around first. What are they saying to the runner? What's their position? Um, you know, and and when there's guys swinging out of the box with nobody on base, what, what are they what are they doing over there? But my first year in the big leagues, I coached first. And I never coached first before in my life because <clears throat> I always coached third when I was managing. But basically, other than say, take a left, uh, the big thing about a first base coach, again, is positioning. you got to be past the base. So as a runner's coming down, let's put nobody on now. If there's runners coming down, you can stop them or you can turn them. And if, if they say there's a uh, ball hit to the shortstop, so he's putting his head down, he's running hard to the base. All of a sudden, it goes through the shortstop. So now if you pass the base – you can point to second base and hopefully you can maybe take a turn and not many times you're going to get there unless it goes, you know, hits off the shortstop and dribbles on center field somewhere. But if you're past the base, you can direct them. If you're before the base, it's too late. So, and again, with a man on first base, you got to get behind the first, you know, behind the base. Well, with, with somebody, when, when the guy's playing behind, when the first base is playing behind a runner, you have to get that back there so you can watch the first baseman. I also said a coach is the base runner's eyes. So the guy in first base, I'll tell you, look at you get your regular lead and he gets secondary lead. And I'll let you know if I say careful or even back, I don't like to say back because sometimes I'll deke. I just say, like to say careful. That means you better be ready to get back or get back. So if the first baseman is playing behind the runner on first, the first base coach has to be back and behind so he can see the first baseman leaving. For him to pick you off, he's going to have to leave before the pitcher actually delivers the ball to home from the catcher. Now, sometimes I put a pick off at first from the pitcher. Now you got to really be alert, and uh, especially the left-hander. If you see that first baseman coming in, you better let the runner know. You know, careful. So, you, you, like I said, you're the you're the eyes. And uh, another thing is, first base coach, of course, got to remind the hitter that you know he'll go up there. A lot of times, seeing a big lady, so put their arm around a guy and say, "Okay, they're looking at the signs and." Help the guy with the signs. I mean, some runners are better at getting signs. Some aren't too good. So you got to have a little thing. Sometimes you have a verbal sign. Sometimes you pat him on the back. It means you're going. Sometimes you pat him a little bit higher. You stay in there. So there's a lot of things the first base coach can assist the runner with. And knowing the runners, you know, some runners are more alert than others. But they are what they are. And you got to, like, you know, if they're not real intelligent as far as running the bases, you got to help them make them more intelligent. But that's what coaching is all about. Everybody's a little bit different. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's like being uh, in the middle of an ocean without a map or a compass there. It's like going old school if you don't get taught this stuff as a coach. They're out there, you know, just winging it here. What about when – what are you watching on a pitcher? Let's say a right-handed pitcher. You got to run around first. There's a hold situation. What are you watching as a base coach, or what do you advise the runner to watch at to prepare for either a pickoff or a delivery to home plate? Well, one thing too is you know you got to know the pitchers too, and you got to know you know sequence a little bit. Uh, you're good base runners when the balls are in dirt. You know the catcher sometimes catch a block a ball, but they'll uh, they'll deflect it. They won't keep it in front of them. So when you're taking your secondary lead, you see a ball going in the dirt. You know a lot of times you can take off if you get a good jump. Again, it depends on the value you run. You can't be stupid if you're down three or four runs, but. If you're aggressive or you can be aggressive, you can anticipate that. You got a guy throwing split fingers and fork balls or curve balls that, you know, a lot of times they'll bounce them. You got to be ready to go. And that's another thing first base coach just reminds them, especially with two strikes. You know, this is a situation where, you know, there might, there might be a ball in the dirt. So be ready to react and go to second base. And getting back to another thing, like two outs and two strikes. You know, especially a runner on second, but also a runner on first. When a hitter gets two outs on him, you know, it's two outs in the inning, and runner uh, hitter has two strikes. A lot of times, you know, the short uh, third base coach and the first base coach should 
I used to hold up two fingers, two on two, you know, two, two, two outs, two strikes. What that means is when the hitter starts his swing, the runner takes off. So if he hits it, you got a good chance of scoring from second base because you got a good head start. And if he misses it, the inning's over anyway. And George Kissel used to call it the umpire play. He said, you're on second base, you see the ball going to strike zone, you take off. Well, sometimes that doesn't work too well because it might be down the middle, the umpire calls it a ball and you're out. But uh, we all say, now you swing. You see the guy start a swing, take off. And I still see a lot of you know, yeah, base runners, that situation, they're not even moving. But get that extra. I mean, like guy in first base, you take off on a swing, you might beat that ground ball that, when he throws the second base. And uh, it's just little things that, that win ball games. And it's like a, every game is, I mean, every every pitch means something. And uh, it, it's the fun part of the game, really. But a good third base, good first base coach is very important because they direct the runners, they inform the runners, and they communicate. And a good third base coach, of course, his biggest thing is giving the signs. And I've seen guys, and even in the big leagues, that guys couldn't get their signs. And I said, like one of my league uh, coaches a couple years ago went around and he said, but the guys can't get my signs. I said, what are you giving? He said, I give him first touch. I said, well, let me tell you something. You touch the first thing the guy's looking, but he's not seeing. A lot of times you got to get their attention first. So to me, you also have to have an indicator. I used to use my face was the indicator. I use the same signs every year I managed. And you can disguise them. You can wipe it off or you can, you know, have a different touch or spots you go where it's, it's off. But if you give the indicator once, then the next sign could be, the, you know, the steal. So if you go, you know, my steal was down my, my arm. So if I go face down my arm, the steal's on. Now, if I go across my chest, it's off. Now, the big one is a hit and run. Now, I know in the big leagues, not many people do a hit and run anymore. But that's one sign you can't miss. Because <clears throat> if you miss a sign of hit and run, bad things are going to happen. So a lot of times I give it twice, three times. Like I told his manager, I said, Look, if you get a guy that looks a little confused when he's looking at you, give it again. But if you have an indicator, you can give it two or three times. If you touch, if you go to first touch every time, you're in trouble. You're done. But like I said, you got to get their attention first, and the indicator gets their attention. And other times, put the indicator on, and if you end with the indicator, it's off. So there's a lot of ways to disguise your signs. And I always said, you know, you're better off having two teams know them than no teams. That's right. Because if you miss signs, you get screwed up. I was going to say that. Sometimes these signs, they're designed to uh... – communicate not to uh, trick your team and you got to play them to your team. Explain to the audience what one touch means. Cause I know what it means. Obviously you do, but just so that uh, everybody's on the same page with it. Well, what do you mean one touch? When you said for first touch, I'm sorry. When you're doing oh yeah. Something. Well, the indicator, the indicator is, you know, is what you, you know, you're looking for the indicator. Everybody has a different indicator. Sometimes the hat, whatever. Sometimes you can change the indicator game to game, but the first, you know, it's the first sign after the indicator. Now, sometimes you can go second sign, but, you know, you're going to confuse guys if you do that game to game. But if you have to change them, you can change them. But I think a lot of people make a big deal out of stealing signs, like the runner second base. You know what? You can't give them that much credit. They might uh, steal location, but really you think about a runner in second base. He's on there for me, two or three pitches. The catcher, now they got all these secret signs, you know, tap a thing on the wrist. So that's over with. But anyway, you know, you, you don't know if your sign's stolen or not, but as third base coach, it's very easy to disguise your signs. But like I said, make it easy. You have an indicator, first sign after the indicator, it's on and then you have a takeoff. And I don't think how, you know, I don't see how another team can steal those signs. Yeah. And I, I used to hate that as a batter. I never wanted to have the runner on second base flash me anything. It was distracting out there. And, and it's, to me, it's like uh buying a book in college that's highlighted already. What if a dummy had it before you? Then they, they highlighted <laughs> the wrong stuff. So I didn't want to rely on it. I just wanted to see it and hit it. Um, with, now, I, when I coached I coach first base, like I said, my first three years. And a lot of times I could see the catcher's signs. But you know what? I was about to give it to anybody because if I, I, I screwed up and say I said it was a curveball coming, he threw a fastball to the guy's head. I wouldn't feel too good about that. So even though you know I could see him, I was very reluctant to give him to anybody. Now – where, where the signs are stolen a lot, the catcher will give away a lot of signs. The catcher, a lot of times, we're sitting up. You know, if he's sitting up like inside to a right-handed hitter with a right-handed pitcher, it's probably going to be a fastball. If he, he scoots up on the plate a little bit more, it's probably going to be an all-speed pitch. So that's where good base runners can see where the catcher moves. If he moves up, he can take off 
especially on first base, to steal second. He sees him moving up. That's why he can make a breaking ball, which is slower than a fastball, of course. So the catcher, you get stuff on where the catcher's sitting up, where he's locating, or you know where he's, where you know how he, where he's calling stuff inside, outside, and moving up on a breaking ball and so forth. But to actually catch, you know, his fingers, I don't think so. Yeah, I think it's tough too. And now with the pitch calm and the wristbands, you can never tell what the heck's going on there unless you unless you right. break that break that code. Now with I know pet I'm I'm assuming this is a pet peeve of yours. Let's say I saw last night I was watching the Yankee game, Yankee Red Sox, runners on first and second. Boston actually they were bunting. And uh, yeah. I saw a unique uh coverage and I, I we didn't talk about it before the show and I apologize for impromptu into you, but I told somebody before, like, how's how's Bob Schaefer on the show? I said he's a baseball savant. I could throw anything at him and he's he's got it. But um so runners on first and second, they were button trying to move the guys over. They had Anthony Rizzo point blank. Um, I mean, he was 20 feet from home plate and his movement was, and this is, I, I have not seen this before as the pitch was coming, he was crossing in front of the batter as if he was moving in the direction of third base. So he was going to be the third base coverage guy. Um, right. two questions for you. Like at first, uh, that's somewhat unique and a little bit risky. I would think, I know they're trying to get it down third. Um, and then second, the backside runner. I mean, that's got to be a pet peeve of yours, backside runners getting too aggressive, being being picked off in a situation like that. Talk about, one, the instruction, you, uh, you you know, the defensive movement there, what you would do first and second defensively, and then second, go back to base running and talk to the instruction of the backside runner in that. Well, first of all, Rizzo is one of the best first basemen, very aggressive. I just hope he had a cup on because if that guy swung away, he would have been in trouble. Oh, my God. But anyway, if the hitter just had punched the ball or abundant the ball down the first baseline, as Rizzo's running full speed to third, he never could have gotten the ball. I mean, to me, the rule is man on first and second, you want to bunt the ball where the uh, first base, third base has to come in and catch it, or, you know, field it, and sort of got it first. However, I don't think that's a rule all the time. Now, if you got a first baseman like Don Manley or uh, Rizzo, left handed first baseman, is a really good fielder, you got to keep it away from him. Now, not many guys did what Rizzo did, but, you know, I give him credit. I know that when uh, Lester was pitching for the uh, Cubs, they didn't want anything to do with him touching the ball because he'd throw it away. Right, yeah. So they, they did their defense a whole lot different. And uh, he's put, uh, was it Baez at third base, I think? And I don't know, their first baseman was, uh, I don't know, he was, I didn't remember his Rizzo, but that's where you probably come up with that. Anyway, you have to do what's best for your team and everything. But to me, if you, man at first and second, if you kill a ball at first base, very rarely are they going to throw the ball at third. Uh, left-handed field and first baseman, different story. But a right-handed field and first baseman, you know, he's got basically stay on. He's got to hold a guy in first still. If there's a guy in first, which most of the time there is. The guy in third, the third baseman's got to, you know, he's he can't charge too soon because the guy will steal third. To me, one of the best plays there, and I saw it happen recently, man in first and second. Again, the hitter's instructed to bunt it hard to third base. However, if you don't bunt it toward the line, it's an easy, easy play for the pitcher to get the force out of third. Or force outs are third because the hitter can't bump the ball close enough to third base line. So what I say, if you can kill it toward first base, it's a safer way to go than try to point or get it by the pitcher toward third base. But a lot of times, we used to use this play when I was managing. If, say, the tie and run was on first, and you're, gonna, you're only going to bunt him first or second. And in those days, they all, not always, but a lot of times they sacrifice a lot more than they do now for sure. I used to have the third base and charge hard and sort of got a second base. So now you got first and second, or first and third. Sometimes you can double the guy back off first also. So now you get double play because the third baseman was aggressive, made a good throw to second to the shortstop, who throws the first to the first baseman, I mean second baseman, got double play. If nothing else, you got first and third rather than second and third. So that's that to me is a better play than anything. But Rizzo took a big chance yesterday doing that. Uh, fortunately, the, the kid made a hell of a bunt. Yeah, killed it. If if you kill it, no matter where you go with it, if you kill it enough, that doesn't matter. But again, that's the technique of bunting. He bunted off the end of the bat. He bunted off the end of the bat. It's not going to go very far. Yeah, he did. And a good I also job. guys, when they bunt the ball to third to make third base and field, you got to bunt it on the sweet spot to get it by the pitcher. And most third basemen don't throw to first base. Yeah, and in this case, last night the, the guy had a great bunt down the line. Pitcher had to come off and field it. They only got the guy at first. But so going back to that that situation you were saying, runners on first and second defensively, you would have with the go ahead run or would say tying run, 
um, on first base, you would you would come hard with the third baseman. Would you rotate him behind with the shortstop to cover? No, I just no third base would not be covered because the second baseman's got to go to first. The first baseman's still got to you know come in for the bunt. But you just want you you're trying to get you out at second base rather than get you out at first base. So I'd have him cheat in a little bit, and uh, you know we're we're actually playing for the guy in first because that's a tie and run. So that 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 reverse a little bit, but uh, we don't care about the guy in second. I mean, that's just you know, not not a, not effect right now. I mean, it's it's doesn't happen that often in a game, but if it does, it's a really good play. And you know, again, depends on your third baseman. Is hopefully you got you know, use your third baseman with a fielder better fielder than the first baseman, unless the first baseman's left-handed. <clears throat> but if the first baseman right-handed, you get a little trouble. That's that's a tough play for the first baseman to throw to third base if he's right-handed. Yeah, no, that's great insight in there. I, I like that. I wrote it. I wrote that down. I get two or three situations off you every conversation, so you're making me better. Like we joked about before the show or at the beginning of the show, if it's just me and you, it's just me and you. But I know we're getting getting in the ears of uh, a lot of people out there. Um, well, there's a lot of bunt plays. You know, a lot of teams practice a bunt play. Spring training, they practice you know about three or four different bunt plays. A man at first and second. You know, you got the the wheel play where the third baseman charges, shortstop goes to third, second baseman. Fakes the first, goes back to second, and you use a pickoff off of that. And then first baseman, you know, reads the play and everything. But, you know, there's, there's different plays. I mean, to me, the best play is, I call it the fake daylight play. The shortstop darts towards second base, coach yells back, running retreats, and pitcher pitches. And that, that holds the guy close. You have a chance at third base. And, again, if the guy makes a good bunt, you're only going to get one out, hopefully one out. He makes a bad bunt, bunt, hopefully you get the guy, you get the force out of third base. Or like I said, if you run the th- for third baseman in, if you're sure they're going to bunt the third, which most of them do, charge in quick and throw the guy to second. Our guys did it, you know, our, you know, the Nationals did it about three weeks ago. They did that play, was going to get a double play out of it. And it was very heads-up play, and it was a great play. But again, on bunt plays, you know, you want to get the lead runner, but if nothing else, at least get one out on bunt play and take your chances after that. That was I was going to ask. What's your priority on that? And I was talking first and second. Lead out is priority, and then yep. I don't like the wheel play because if the wheel plays on, the hitter should swing because there's no one gets to second base really. I mean, shortstop going to third, second baseman going to first. So anytime the wheel plays on, you should swing or take the pitch because the wheel play is like a one pitch play anyway. You can't yeah. keep running over and over again. So I tell the hitter, you, you know, if you can hit it, hit it. Otherwise, but don't bunt into the wheel play. You bunt into the wheel play is like uh, suicide because you're going to get at least one run and you never know how many you're going to get. So to me, to me, the wheel play, it's a one play, you know, one pitch play. I'm not a big believer in that. I'm a big believer in playing. Make sure you get one out. In a wheel play, you might get no outs. Yeah, wheel play, you could potentially steal on that as well, right? Fake bunt, bring them in. Just all you're doing is beating the shortstop to the bag. Right, yeah. And uh, again, I mean, the timing of it, the pitcher can't release the ball too soon. I mean, uh, he's got to give the shortstop a chance to get to third base. And sometimes they'll put the pickoff on where it's second baseman. So that kind of locks the runner a little bit at second. In other words, uh, even though the second baseman's got to go to first, a lot of times he'll go to second, you know, fake the first. And then with the shortstop, he'll leave early, go past the runner at second. So the runner at second thinks he can get a bigger jump. I'll see him turn around and pick the guy off second with a second baseman. Yeah, that works once in a while, but I've seen it go to center field about as many times as it works. So, I mean, yeah. you try to get too fancy, uh, you're going to get hurt. I mean, there's there's some fancy plays you can use here and there, but the amount of time you got to practice them, you get different pitchers. Sometimes you get different infielders. Uh, it doesn't work out that well. You're better off playing fundamental baseball. If they're going to bunt, take the out and take your chances after that, and hopefully you get the lead runner, not just the, the better runner. Yeah, I like that. You made two points. I want to see if you if you can help us with the counterpoints. You talked about delayed steal early. How would you use early steal? And again, kind of go through that, if at all. You mean guy takes off early? Yeah. Well, that's really risky. I mean, uh, I don't know. I don't think I've ever done that. But, I mean, you know, I've seen it the other night in the game. You know, right now there's more stolen bases. And it is a lot of has to do with you only throw the base twice. But I don't think the pitchers are paying attention to the runners like they used to. Yeah. And I think the runners are more inclined to steal. I don't think the big bases have anything to do with it, to be honest with you. Maybe one out of 50. But uh, 
to me, the bigger bases help the first baseman, you know, safety factor for the first baseman on a close play to first. But I think the fact you can only throw the first twice, and once you throw the second time, it's almost like open market, let's go take off. Yeah. But uh, I think, you know, I'd throw twice, and I have a hell of a pick off the third time and get them because, you know, most of them are going on the third time. So uh, there's all kind of, but that, that's risky too because it doesn't work as a balk. So, you know, when you start getting tricky, I think you're going to get beat. You're going to beat yourself. And like I always said, if you don't beat yourself, you've got a chance to beat any other team. So I like to just play regular baseball. And once in a while, I have different plays. I mean, I used to, you know, a lot of times when I played short, sometimes a uh, guy is still second base, you know, no throw. And I say foul ball. I used to do with guys I knew because if that guy didn't know the guy, he might knock me, you know, knock me down. But I say foul balls. And a couple of times, the guys ran back to first and we got him out. Yes. It was, it's the fun part of the game. And, uh, yeah, you know, just like the hidden ball trick. I mean, <clears throat> I used to use I played second base a little bit, and the best time to use a hidden ball trick is, you know, when you take a throw at first on a bunt, and second base, so now you're walking back to second. And in those days, the gloves are bigger or something. I used to slip the ball between my palm and my glove. And I can open my glove, and, you know, runner didn't notice it. But you have to let the umpire know. You have to let the pitcher know for sure. But the pitcher now used to talk. You know, if it happens, I'm going to keep the ball. So you had to walk around the mound, and it worked a couple of times. Didn't work a few times also, but it's the fun part of the game. But, you know, that was trickery, but the same token, if it didn't work, you're not going to get penalized. You're not going to get something bad happen to you. Yeah, and in that case, <laughs> as you're describing it, they, they can't step on the dirt part of the mound. They've got to be on the grass, correct? Otherwise, it's a balk. Well, you know, every every league seems to have a different rule. Some leagues yeah. said you can't get on a rubber, and other leagues say you can't go on a mound. But I just to be safe, we say you can't go on a mound. But I think they've changed that to you can't go on a mound now. But there's some leagues – that if you didn't go into rubber, you're okay. Yeah. But you never see it anymore. I mean, first of all, the gloves are different. Yeah, they're tiny. Um, you couldn't put it inside the glove like we did in those days. But, uh, <clears throat> I mean, what's wild some guys do it? I think the, uh, Danny Doyle used to do it all the time with the Red Sox or whatever team he played with. <clears throat> yeah. Now, when I was mentioning early steel, that would probably be more of a first and third situation rather than just a straight. Yeah, well, that's like a forced balk. I think that's yeah. – we call it a forced balk. In other words, that, you know, the guy in first takes off – as a left-handed pitcher is looking at him, a lot of times a left-handed pitcher will, you know, panic, you know, balk. But in the meantime, once he takes off, the guy in third takes off. So unless he steps off and plays the guy in third, you score an easy run. Yeah. So we used to we used to do that once in a while, but again, that's where the communication comes in. The first baseman's got to yell, you know, step off. Once that guy takes off, you yell, step off. And instead of saying there he goes, a lot of times you say there he goes. Now you, uh, you know, the guy panics, but. It gets back to, like I said before, anticipation. First and third, you got to anticipate something like that, that something like that happening. Yeah. So now you're ready for it if it does happen. And the pitcher but, should step off, check the guy in third, then get rid of the ball, right? Right, exactly. You step off, check him at third, and then unload it, and then see what happens. But, you know, get him in a rundown. But uh, that's that's been a good play, you know, over the years. I mean, you know, a lot of teams have used a force balk. And, uh, again, it's – you take advantage of somebody's not thinking, basically. Yeah. But, again, it's all about anticipation. Someone's goes, look, at, hey, first try to watch this, you know, don't let them take off or be ready to step off and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be that communication verbal to, to the pitcher. And, uh, you know, I, we t- you talked hit and run before, too. I, I liked how you described it. It was great for our audience. When, when would a run and hit be used? Well, a run and hit, I don't know. We call it hit and run. It's actually a run and hit. But I used to use it a lot. I mean, I, I tell you, my favorite play was three and one count, man on first and second. I put the hit and run on. The hit and run means you got to swing as a strike with a three and one. Normally, you put a hit and run. Two and one is usually the best pitch for uh, hit and run. But we won. We won a playoff game when I was managing Tidewater. Dave Magadans was hitting. We had first and second. He had a three and one count. And I remember Dave Magadans, very good contact hitter, left-handed hitter which you don't steal third to do a hit and run guy in second, but I knew he was going to put the ball in play. Well, sure enough, I put the three and one hit and run on. And like I said, with a three and one hit and run, and we used to practice it in batting practice. If it's a ball, you take it. Now we've got ball four. That's even better, well, as good as maybe hitting the ball. But so what you're telling the guy when you get a hit and run with three and one is that, it's, you know, you're going to hit a strike. If it's not a strike, you take it. So now Magan is up. I got two guys on. I said, Three and one hit and run. We're playing in Columbus. Columbus said Astro Turf infield. So he hits the ball right at the shortstop. 
course, the shortstop covering second now, so the ball goes to left field. We end up getting like three runs out of it. Now, let's use that for an example. Dave Magadan wasn't a home run hitter, but he actually like hit a three-run home run right there because he put the ball in play. So three and one to me was the best hit and run play. I don't like stealing three and one with a good hitter up because with a good hitter up, it might be a, a borderline strike. I don't want him swinging at that. I want to maybe go to three, two. Now the lesser hitter is a good time to hit and run because now he's going to put the ball in play and he's not like a power guy, but I used to use the hit and run many times. And a lot of times in a sacrifice situation, and in those days we used to sacrifice and I wasn't a big bunt guy, but if it was a winning run on first, or in you know late eight ninth inning, you know if we could sacrifice to go ahead or win the game or tie the game even, I'd bunt early in the game. I wouldn't bunt. I'd hit and run. A lot of times when I have a bunt situation, I'd hit and run on the first pitch because usually the pitch is thrown right in there because you think you're going to bunt. So hit and run the first pitch and it doesn't work. Then bunt the second pitch. But I think that uh, you know hit and run. It used to be well, it was well, it used to be used a whole lot. And it was a great play, uh, way to break a guy out of a slump, number one. The guy's struggling. You tell him, you know, you make up his mind he's going to swing at it. You got infielders moving. Just all I tell him how to hit and run, just try to drive the ball on the ground. Just hit the ball on the ground somewhere. If you try to hit the ball on the ground, a lot of times you hit a long line drive, you never know. Just try to keep it out of the middle because infielders, they can make a double play if hit the ball up the middle. But forget about that. I don't want the guy to carve in the ball to right field, trying to steer the ball here. Or there. Just hit a hard ground ball. Hit a ground ball left field as a right-hander hitter. The runner on first is running on hit and run. He's still going to get to third base most of the time. So just hit, just, just try to hit a hard ground ball. But like I said, hit and run, I love that play. I loved it better with three and one, two and nine, first and second. It's a gutsy play and sometimes doesn't work out too well, but when it works, it's good. And just like three and two, three and two, you know, one out, less than you know, no else than one out. I like to start the runners. When I coached in Oakland, we would never run. We never run three two. I said, well, "What are we doing?" Oh no, no, you get thrown out. I said, "No, a lot of good things happen." First of all, if they hit it, you're gonna have a guy in scoring position at least, unless you hit a line drive at somebody. And you know, second of all, you know, it puts pressure on the defense. The infielders are moving; they they lose some of their range. So a lot of good things happen. But I think the thing is, if you put a hit and run on, it puts a little confidence in a hitter's mind. I can hit the ball. Yeah, and again, they it used to make guys on something. They don't have to make a decision. There, you've made it for them. They're already good right. with the ball in play. I like the three-one count, first and second, where you give the hit and run. But it's it's different than the traditional hit and run, where say like, if it's a strike, put in play. If not, take it. Um, right. I like that. But you know, Dave, you got you got to practice when you're in batting practice. You know, guys see hit and run all of a sudden. You say, "Well, hell, I got to swing no matter what." Well, no, yeah. you got to swing as a strike. And if it's a borderline strike, you probably should swing too. But I mean. Even then, you got a good chance of putting the ball in play. But I, like I said, when it's the ball, I mean, nothing better than hit and run when you only have to swing at a strike. Yeah. The risk when you put a hit and run on is if it's a ball over your head, you still got to swing at it or it's in the dirt. Now, if it's in the dirt, a lot of times you check your swing, it's, the guy is still going to advance. But I don't know how many hitters can think that quick. Yeah. Well, today's hitters now, I mean, uh, we, we talked a little bit, Luis Arias on an earlier show today, but – with those all-or-nothing swings we have in the game today, that's a tough prospect to put a hit-and-run on up there because it's going to be a fly ball or or miss. So You know, I talked to some managers in the last few years about hit-and-run. A lot of them like to do it, but you know what? They say this, and an agent would call and say, you took the bat out of my, my, my player's hands. Make him swing at that pitch and everything. So the agents get involved now because all analytics. It's all stats. Instead of trying to help the team win, which a hit-and-run is a great play to help a team win – they're worried about their stats. And it's, it's no doubt. I mean, agents have called and said, what are you doing that for? You know, I don't know if I could take that from an agent. My friend, I couldn't, but I never, you know, I coached the managers a little bit in the big leagues, but I mean, that that's what's happening to the game, to be honest with you. And it's, it's too bad because a lot of excitement in the game. The hit and run is a great play. Oh, I love it. It's one of my favorites. I love guys that can handle the bat and move the ball around. And anytime you can, I think anytime you can add pressure to the defense, you make them communicate more. They've got to handle the ball better. It's advantage offense right there, I think. So, well, see, that, that's again where you get guys who are winning players. I mean, like I said earlier, last week, whatever, but it's not how good you are, it's how good you play. And to me, I want a guy that can help you win. Can a guy put the ball in play on a hit and run? And it's a you know, productive out, if nothing else. Productive outs win a lot of games. In other words, you're making out but advanced base runners. And, uh, you know, that, that's, that's what it's all about, really. And uh, those are the kind of guys who win games for you. Oh, I agree. 
We, we've we've kept you for almost fifty minutes now. What what haven't you covered yet that you want to get to today for our audience? You want to leave them wanting more next week? Yeah, we get. We'll do it. You know, we do some more. Uh, you know, we do the pop up priority. We got some more stuff to do. But uh, you know, one thing getting back to uh, base running and everything is you can't take anything for granted. You know, you can't take the guy. You can't uh, assume he's going to catch the ground ball. Assume he's going to catch a fly ball. You got to know where the ball is at all times. You know, you, when you slide into a base, stump up and get up and, and find the ball because you might bobble or you might, you know, who knows. But, uh, again, if you make a concentrated effort during batting practice, and you know, like I said, tagging up on uh, deep fly balls, going partway and, you know, with one out, that's with nobody out, with one out, go partway, uh, work on getting a jump off third on a contact play, just little things like that that uh, you got to pay attention to and you got to get better at. And it becomes a habit after a while. But again, you got to, you know, kind of assume, I mean, uh, anticipate what's going to happen and then go from there. Well, I think just that information on second base alone was worth its price in gold today because that's that's baseball's version of red zone offense right there. And if kids can take away that one piece of information, you're going to be better at baseball. But there's a ton of ton of nuggets in here today for everybody to, to get in on. So take the information Bob gave us today. Make sure you're watching it, paying attention to it in the games that you guys are watching out there. And, uh, you know, Bob, great information again. I mean, it's one other thing I'd like to say, yeah. though, is like, you know, when you're coaching, it's very important to tell the uh, hitter or the you know, player why. It's like you tell him you got to tag up on a long fly ball with nobody out. Well, tell him why, because if he catches it, you go to third. If he misses it and you don't score, it doesn't matter because you're still on third with nobody out. So, I mean, just like with one out, I mean, you got to go part way so you can score if it drops. You know, a guy dies for it and drops it or misses it, you got to be able to score it because. If he dies for it and catch it, you can still get back to second base. Yeah. But uh, just a little situation like that. But, you know, when coaching, you just have to tell the player why and uh, explain it to them. And they can remember a lot easier, a lot longer if you tell them why. No, it's great advice for there. And I um, want to thank our audience, too. we got a high IQ audience, so they grab onto your stuff. Uh, they love it. So 19,000 of you guys out there now are, are subscribers trying to get to 20,000 by the end of the week here. Make sure you download, listen, like, subscribe, rate, and review. We can keep providing you with great content like we're doing on this show, Touch Them All with Bob Schaefer. Get us on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Hit me up on Facebook every day. I get back to one person live. The others I get back to privately. Um, 72 countries now, grassroots, MLB front offices. Just trying to build a better baseball IQ out there, and I know I got smarter today. Um, Bob, thanks so much for show number two. I hope when you're enjoying it because I know our audience is loving the information that you give them. Well, I love talking baseball and, you know, you're a good baseball guy. And if you have any questions from uh, the callers, maybe next week we can talk about them. Oh, without a doubt. And we're going to cover pop-up priority definitely next week. And, um, we'll, we'll pull some audience questions and feed the show next week with that. But thanks again. And just touch them all with Bob Schaefer here. Great show, Bob. Thanks again.